Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. Anytime you're in Huntsville, we hope you'll come be part of our worship. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. We hope you'll enjoy this lesson brought to us by Glenn Colley. Tonight's scripture will be from Judges 14, verses 12 through 14, New King James Version. Then Samson said to them, Let me pose a riddle to you. If you can answer correctly and solve it and explain to me within seven days of the feast, then I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. But if you cannot explain it to me, then you shall give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. And they said to him, Pose your riddle that, you, that we may hear it. So he said to them, Out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet. Now for three days they could not explain the riddle. You may be seated. Open God's book, please, to the 13th chapter of Judges. I want to talk about Samson tonight, and it, it encompasses three or four chapters here. We'll go through chapter 16, and um, that's where you need to turn to get begin on the sermon. This kind of connects with this morning's sermon. It's not about Hebrews chapter 11, but it has some connection in view of the fact that we're we're still in this time of the judges and the darkness, the idolatry of judges, the cyclical, cyclical thing that's going on with them. For 40 years, the people of Israel have been under Philistine oppression. 40 years. Samson is going to be judge over Israel after he becomes the judge for 20 years. The, the lesson tonight, and I'm going to go ahead and give you the end as we begin is this. I'm so glad to be a Christian. I'm so glad. There's a lot of reasons. The big one, of course, is that I'm going to heaven when I get finished living here. But besides that, there's so many pains in this life, so many hardships that people bring on themselves because of the way that they live. They live in the darkness. Through Christ, we walk in the light. Why is Samson here? Why? Why? What, what you have in Samson is really a staggering thing when you find him in Hebrews chapter 11. And again, I'm not going to plow, plow that ground over again, but Samson is, a, is not a good man. He's not good. He's, he's self-centered. He's prideful. He just does what he wants to do. There's nothing, nothing that he won't do. And it's, it's just breathtaking sometimes to watch him. But we're going to talk about that some tonight. Why did God choose Samson to be one of the judges? The answer is this. God is showing Israel that if they'll be faithful to him, he can deliver them with anybody, with anybody, even somebody as sorry as Samson. I'm going to show you four things. Let's put this slide up. I want to show you four things. See if we can make it go. There you go. I want to emphasize as we start the story of Samson four things that demonstrate the degree to which God was involved in picking this particular man for this job of judge. Now, you're not going to like him. You're not going to like the story that, that we tell. But this is it. Samson judged Israel for 20 years. And yet what you have in these 
chapters, 13, 14, 15, and 16, four chapters is, is all that we have. And it's about five contaminated relationships that Samson has because of the way that he lives and his family. Five, that's, the, that's really the, I'm going to give you the five, but five contaminated relationships is the story you have about Samson. And yet he, he uh, judged as a deliverer in Israel against the Philistines for 20 years. 20 years! How many stories do you suppose could have been told from those 20 years? You don't have it. What you've got is the sorry. What you've got is the, is the five contaminated relationships. Two, an angel came like he did with Sarah and Abraham, like he did with Mary, the mother of Jesus. An angel comes and announces that uh, Manoah's wife is going to bear a child. And then you have this, this, this uh, important aura around this. So she's to be careful about the diet that she eats because he's going to be a Nazarite. And there will be no razor come to his head and no wine. And, and you have some, you know about the Nazarite vow, but he's going to be a Nazarite from birth. And so this starts while he's still in the womb and the angel expresses that. It just demonstrates that God is, is intimately involved in selecting, this is no accident, in selecting Samson for this job. He's got what God wants. And what God wants is to demonstrate this point about his power. And and also in the process, he illustrates just what it looks like to be godless, what it looks like to be idolatrous and to to keep God out of their knowledge. Now, bear in mind that in 17, chapter 17, verse 6, chapter 21, verse 25, you have these words, every man rejected God. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. It's very much like Romans chapter 1, and they didn't like to retain God in their knowledge. What's that look like? so, So what happens to a people when they don't like to retain God in their knowledge? Well, I can tell you what happened during this time. His name is Samson. He's the, he's the poster child for what it looks like. Three, Manoah prayed, teach us what we shall do. This is Samson's dad. When he learned that his wife is going to be bearing this child, and, and she had been previously unable to bear, and now she's going to have this baby. Maybe this is miraculous then. And uh, he prays. Teach us what we shall do to the child that shall be born unto us. Again, God's connection. God's plugged into what's going on. This is orchestrated by God. And then number four, God knew that Samson was going to be a wicked man. When you get to chapter 14 and verse 4, you have, as I'm going to talk about in a few minutes, you have the, the, the woman at Timnath, and Samson loves her, and he wants to marry her. And his parents say, whoa, wait a minute. She's a Philistine. Of course, that was prohibited by God. That's not what they said. But what they said is, can't you find somebody of our people to marry? Why must you go and find someone of the the enemies, the Philistines? Why must you do that? His response was, get get her from me. I want her. And then the next verse says, verse 4, that it was because they didn't know that this was being orchestrated by God. It doesn't mean that God endorsed the sin. It doesn't mean that he promoted or he caused the sin of Samson. But sometimes God uses sinful men to bring about his purposes. And in this case, the purpose, it appears to me, is in order to show Israel and to show us tonight that that you cut yourself loose from God and, and terrible things happen. 
Aren't you glad to be a Christian? When we get to the bottom of this sermon, I really think that I know that this is how I feel about this study. It just makes me so happy to think about how many problems and troubles I can avoid by walking in Christ. All right, here are the five relationships. The first one is with his parents. And so the account begins that the angel says you're going to have a baby. And they were just so happy about that. But they were overindulgent. Does this come? I, I suppose it does from the kind of spiritual climate, the destitute climate in which this is found, the idolatry. I mean, it's going to take its toll. And one of the things is in parenting, in the philosophy of parenting, Psalm 127 says that the children are like godly families, are like an arrow in the hand of a mighty man. And the emphasis there is not only about releasing them, but about restraining them and pulling them back. In 1 Samuel 3, you have Eli. And what was wrong with Eli's parenting? You remember? He restrained them not. Wait a minute, that's what's happening here. And you see this egregious example immediately when he suddenly he goes from being just a baby up to being a man. And he says, I want this woman who's a Philistine. And dad says, no, no, wait, this is not wise. And he said, get her. I want her. She pleases me. And you know what dad did? He started the wedding. I must not confuse love with spoiling children. Ephesians 6, 4 says, and I'm to raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And nurture, the Greek word, means disciplining, correction, instruction. Number two, it's a contaminated relationship with his wife. And now here is a woman at Timnath. She must have been beautiful. Samson feels that he could have her. Apparently they've had lots of conversation. He wants to marry her. He wants to be her husband. So he's making these tricks, <coughs> excuse me, these tricks back and forth to see her. Now this seems kind of incidental, but it won't in just a couple of minutes because what happens is on one of these trips, he, he is, is attacked by a lion. He kills the lion with his own hands. He's got this strength that is miraculous from God, kills the lion, and then leaves the, the carcass there and he goes about his business and Then at a different time, after some time has passed, and the the flesh of the carcass has been consumed by something, he comes back through it, and a a beehive, some bees have created a hive in there, and and they've created honey. In in Alabama, we put our cars out in the field, and that's where the bees go. But this is in the carcass of this lion, and it seems incidental, but it's going to be important. I know, and you know, that when we first married, for those of us who are, we didn't, we didn't start out with a mature love. We didn't. We start out with something considerably less than that, and then over the years it grows, if you're in a Christian marriage, a Christian home, into something that is um, just, just shy of miraculous. It, two people really do become one flesh. They become one person in so many different ways. And that's, uh, to me, astounding and beautiful. I have it, and I'm, I'm thankful for it. We didn't start out that way. And you love one another, but, but so much of, of what goes into choosing your spouse has to do with how you were trained, the values that were put in you. There's stuff in you that you don't, if you're a teenager, that you don't even know is inside of you. And then you get to the point where you want to choose a mate, and those things come to the surface 
In the case of of Samson and this woman at Timnath, it was a shallow love, not a deep love. In marriage seminars, sometimes I like to tell this story about a boy that comes to his grandfather and he says, Papa, um, I'm thinking about buying a ring and asking my girlfriend to marry me. I want to know what you think. Well, we said, do you love her? Are you kidding? Of course I love her. She is, she's beautiful. She drives me crazy. But not only that, she can cook. She's a great cook. And her dad has this this great lucrative position in the company. And he's going to give me a job. I can start at the bottom floor and climb a ladder. And it's going to be a great life. I'm set up. Of course I love her. I love her. Well, good, good. But suppose he marries her. And in the first couple of weeks, he finds out that she can't cook. Mama's been doing all that cooking. It's not her. She can't boil water. She can't cook. What if he finds that out? What if, God forbid, what if there's a terrible, terrible accident in that beautiful face, in that beautiful body that just drives him crazy? What if, what if, what if that's not beautiful anymore? I, I had a close friend when I lived, when, when the children were young in Tennessee, and, and his wife had a terrible accident, and she, she became a paraplegic. And that would, of course, be for the rest of her life. What if that happens? What if that happens? What if, what if the job, the dad can't produce that anymore, and you, what you had thought would happen doesn't happen? And all of these things into which you have placed your hope, now all those things are gone. I want to ask you a question. Do you love her? Do you love her? And the fact is that many would say, no, I no, because they have this false, this very immature view of love, like Samson had. Samson would love her so long as she made him happy, but suppose that's not the way it is now. Then Christians understand something different. We, we come into marriage with a different perspective, which is that, that marriage is a contract, and it's for life. And we come in and we sign the contract, and it means that it's not about how I feel today or tomorrow, or, or do we sometimes have a fuss. It means that I made a commitment to you, and I've made it for life, and We're not the only ones involved in this relationship. God's involved in it, and I'm a Christian, and I want to please him, and I'm going to be judged by many things, but one of them is what kind of husband I've been or what kind of wife I've been. It's a more mature level, and Samson didn't have it. It reminds me of people today who are living together, and they're not married. It's a very popular thing to do, you know. And you know how the logic goes behind it. You can, you know, I don't have to describe that. You know what the logic is for that. And just a great number of people, it is just so very common today for people to be living together without marriage. It's such an immature approach to love. It's not the same, you know. Somebody who loves you, loves you, loves you, and wants to live, live, live with you, but they don't, they don't want to make the commitment. Shy about the commitment. Listen, that, that girl's not your wife. You mustn't treat her like she's your wife. She's not your wife. That boy, he, he, may, he may be really good looking and, and you think he's just everything, but he's not your husband and don't you treat him like, you're, like he's your husband. What God created with this, this kind of a union is not for people who are not married. It's, it's for people who are and are committed to one another. And I... Listen, I wouldn't trade places. Find somebody who loves Jesus, committed to the Lord, who loves you, and marry that person, and and work together to have a happy home and go to heaven together. That's maturity. Samson didn't have that. And so 
Go get her for me. And so dad, mom, they go to set up this thing and they're going to have this, this marriage, this, this wedding. Now what's about to happen? He doesn't know. Samson doesn't know it, but he's about to leave her and go back home again. And he's going to do it because of a riddle. Because she told, he was playing this little game, see, with his friends. And, and it involved a riddle. And, and, and he had them stumped. And she went and told it. And, and he, oh, he blew his stack. And Samson went home and he left her there. What, what kind of love is that? Well, it, it's staggering. And the answer is that they're just a couple of children. They're acting, he's acting like a child. But that's all he knows. As long as she makes me happy, I'm going to stay with her. And so here's number three. A contaminated relationship with his, with, with his companions. Now, I, I, I started to use the word friends. I don't, I don't like that as well. I guess it's as close to friends as Samson has. But they, they're setting up this for this wedding, and part of their custom, and it's kind of neat, you know, the, the Philistines would uh, brought 30 friends, Philistine companions, to be with the groom. And, and so I, you can imagine the occasion. We're not given it. I don't know. We don't have it described, but they're, they're kind of palling around. I, what I know is that Samson says, hey, I got a riddle for you. You want, you want, a, you want a riddle? And then, then he introduces gambling. Let's gamble on it. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> when you talk about gambling and how come Christians don't gamble, There's a number of reasons you can give. My favorite one is this, and it's beautifully illustrated by what I'm about to tell you with Samson and his friends. I don't don't gamble because of the golden rule. Because nobody gambles hoping that the other person wins. You hope the other person loses. What I want is for you to lose in order that I might benefit from from your money or your whatever it is. I want your stuff. And I'm going to do this because I really hope you lose and I gain from you. At the root of it, it's just, it's just the wrong way to look at people. Anyway, that's what Samson did. He said, uh, I've got a riddle for you. Now, here's the riddle. Out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet. Now, listen closely to this old preacher. They were never going to get that because it has to do with a personal experience that nobody knows about. There is no logic applied to this. There's no, there's no chance in a hundred years those guys are ever going to get this, and Samson knows that. This is to abuse his companions. He, it's, it's rigged. So he says, uh, let's, let's make a wager. But he already knows how it's going to turn out. 30 changes of garments, 30 garments. And, and so it's, it's a lot. It was worth a lot. And they agree to it. I assume because they think this is just a, a friendly thing and he's going to pose a, 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 I don't have 30 guys, surely 30. You know, one of them could come up with the answer. No, that's, no, not in this case because it's rigged. He's not playing fair. This is not for fun. And so after three days, they realize they can't get this and they go to the, the wife-to-be and, and I'm calling her Samson's wife. We don't know how far the, the wedding, if it actually happened or not. She's at least legally engaged to him. It's espoused or it's, it's married, we, whatever. But so the, the, 30, the 30 men, they, they come to the wife and they say, now look, <clears throat> we're pretty upset about this. You find out the answer to the riddle or we're going to burn you in your father's house. That is serious. Now, now they're, they're not messing around. 
She goes to Samson and she says, you got to tell me that, tell me, oh, I don't want to tell you. I haven't even told my parents that. I don't, I don't see why I need to tell you about that. And so she presses him and finally he's, okay, okay. And he tells her the story about the lion, the lion and that's the riddle. And she makes a beeline to save her life. She goes to those men and she says, here's the answer. And they come back to Samson and they cleverly just kind of spill it. And his response is, you would not have known that except you've been plowing with my heifer. You know what that means. It doesn't sound very, you know, charitable toward his wife, but that's what he said. And then he is enraged. He goes and he, he kills 30 men in order to take their garments to bring and pay his gambling debt. And then he is so mad that he just goes back to his father's house. That's that. Well, in, in the meantime, what happens is that her dad gives her to somebody else, one of his other companions, I guess, I guess someone who had presented himself to Samson as a friend at one time, at least as much friend as Samson can have, and the friend marries his wife. But Samson gets lonely, and Samson then eventually goes back, and he wants to woo his wife back and say, okay, okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. So can you come back and live with me, because I, I really want you to be my wife. And So he goes back. And her daddy is not going to let him go back and bother this happy union that's been created. No, no, she's married to another man. In anger, Samson then goes and he ties, he takes 300 foxes, ties tails together, two and two, puts a a torch, a lit torch between each one and releases them into the fields of, of the Philistines. They're farms. And burns a tremendous amount of, of farm goods, of their, their olive groves and their wheat fields. And, and I mean, it's just this conflagration from what he just, he just lit it all up. They go then, when they get the fire put out, they go to the Israelites and they say, listen, if you want trouble, then you refuse what we're about to ask you. What we want is for you to deliver Samson to us and deliver him right now. Okay, 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 okay. And they go to Samson. They say, look, we're, we're going to tie you up and take you. You're going to let us take you and deliver you to the Philistines because we're scared of them. He said, well, okay. But a couple of conditions. One is you, you, um, you tie me with ropes. You can do that. Tie me up with ropes, a couple of new ropes. But the condition really is that you don't kill me. I don't want you to attack me. Don't kill me. And they said, oh, fine, fine, fine. And so they deliver him over, and and immediately he breaks the ropes, he takes the jawbone of a donkey, and he kills a thousand Philistines. Now again, I want to make this observation that God, at the end of that, he's just so thirsty, he's just parched, and God gives him water to drink at that moment. Actually, through that jawbone, he's going to give him water to drink. What's God doing? He's saying, this is my plan, this is according to plan. It isn't that God endorses the the evil. It's that God is using this and he knows what kind of man he's using for this. His name is Samson and he was raised in this climate, this, this climate of the Israelites when they're just so far away from God. And now, okay, let, let's, 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 uh, let me show Israel what I can do with a man like this. He kills a thousand men. So here's the next one. His prostitute. This one doesn't have a lot. There's not a lot said about this woman in Gaza. 
the, the Old Testament has multiple prohibitions against harlotry. It, it is an old profession, and the, the Old Testament law condemned it over and over. When you get to the New Testament in Luke chapter 15, you have the prodigal son, and his older brother said, um, you know, he's devoured your living with prostitutes. This is real darkness. Uh, it's darkness. And prostitution destroys both parties. And it will destroy them from the inside out. It will destroy them from the inside out. And people today are selling themselves, not just in what we consider to be the definition of the word, but in addition to that, they prostitute themselves in videos for, for internet. I'm, you know, I, I'm told that, that a woman can make a lot of money if she posts these these images or videos and people, men will send her money to prostitute herself this way. Certainly in movies, sometimes in video games. This is darkness. This is, this is darkness, and, and you're getting about as far away from light as you can. And then here's the last one. And her name is Delilah. So his unrequited love is Delilah. She is a Philistine he believes that she loves him. And see, here's this pitiful thing, because you talk about contaminated relationships. Wouldn't it be awful to, to be this much in love with a woman and, and, and have this kind of relationship where he's about to risk his life to, to satisfy her about, well, you know, we'll talk about this, but, but he will risk his life trusting her. It's very... Very sad because she's, she's, she's not loyal to him. He's just a fool. He thinks that she is because he's, he's so hungry for love. He's so hungry for somebody to truly love him. And he's just empty inside. And so he, he just tells himself these lies. That, that she really loves him because he really loves her. It's not true. It's never been true. Sometimes... I'll be around a man and he, he blows his marriage because he falls in love with his secretary or with some other woman. And, and the irony of it is, is that he believes that if he divorces his wife and, and marries this woman, a woman who was willing to sleep with him while he's married, she has that, that depth of lack of loyalty that, that if he will leave his wife and marry her, that she will somehow transform and be loyal to him. It's bizarre logic. It just is bizarre. It's like you hope that will be, but the logic isn't there. It's not true. She's not a loyal person to begin with. She wasn't. And that's how Delilah is. So... The Philistines come to her and they say, she's a Philistine, but the powers that be, they come to her and they say, you, you've got to figure out what the, the source of his strength is. I assume from that statement that he didn't look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. I don't think he, I don't think he was a big, beefy man. I don't think that. Because otherwise they wouldn't ask this question. What's the source of his strength? I think he, I, I don't know. I think he probably looked like a normal guy. 
And yet he was amazing in his strength. Well, the angel of the Lord came upon him and he would, he would have this amazing strength. So you got to find out what the source of the strength is. And so she begins to press him for it. You know how much I love you, baby. Oh, yeah, I love you too, baby. I love you too. What's the source of your strength? Tell me the secret. Well, the secret is if, if I was tied up with seven bowstrings that haven't been dried, I'd be like other men. And so she... She ties him with, and she follows through with Samson, the Philistines be upon thee. And so, you know, he breaks them like they were nothing. You know, come on now, you tell me the truth. Well, if I, if I was tied with new ropes. And so she does it, and, she, and he keeps going with this thing. He's, what's the matter with him? The answer is that, that he wants so bad to believe that she loves him. And I think this is just the pitiful end of this course that's been going all this time. He's just self-destructing, and now he's hungry for somebody to care about him, and he keeps falling into this, so he keeps going. And t- so if, if, if somebody would weave my hair, my, the seven locks of my hair, into a loom, and that, that, that would do it. And so, Samson, the Philistines be upon you. And, and so he just throws it away as nothing. His strength is all there. And finally she says, this is, this is the weapon. No man could stop him, but she can stop him. There's a power here, boy. There's a power. And she says, you tell me you love me. You, you don't really love me. Not like I love you. I just love you, son. I've given myself to you, and I just don't think you love me. And I don't know if I can go on. I don't know if I can go on. Okay, 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 okay. Wait, wait. Okay, okay, okay. And then he tells her. I think immediately she knows. She looks at his eyes. I know. He's telling me the truth. Nazarite vow. My hair is cut. Razor comes to my head. The strength goes. Now, the Bible doesn't say, by the way, that Delilah cut his hair. This is just trivial, Bible trivia, but, it, but she had one of the Philistines come in and do it. She makes him sleep on her knees, the Bible says, I guess with his head in her lap, makes him sleep, and then... Waves the guy in, he cuts the hair, and, and uh, Samson thought he could do what he always does, but he couldn't, and it was all gone. It was all gone, and they took his eyes, and they make him a pitiful slave. Samson is mocked, and they have this going on for quite a while. And you remember then how this thing concludes. They... They're having a feast, a banquet, and you have a roof over the structure, and people are sitting up there, and you've got a lot of Philistines, and, and they put him between two pillars, and he asks the boy to place his hands on the pillars, and then he prays to God. Now, I want to go to chapter 16, beginning in verse 23. I'm in Judges 16, verse 23. The lords of the Philistines gathered together to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to rejoice. And they said, our God has delivered into our hands Samson, our enemy. When the people saw him, they praised their God, Dagon. For they said, our God has delivered into our hands our enemy, the destroyer of our land, the one who multiplied our dead. So it happened when their hearts were married that they said, call for Samson that he may perform for us. So they called Samson from the prison and he performed for them. They stationed him between the pillars. Samson said to the lad who held him by the hand, let me feel the pillars which support the temple so that I can lean on them. Now the temple was full of men and women 
All the lords of the Philistines were there, about 3,000 men and women on the roof, watching while Samson performed. Then Samson called to the Lord, saying, O Lord, this is a dying, this is a man who's about to take his own life in a military action. He's about to die. And he calls now on God. Bear in mind that God knew all along what was going to happen. If you, if you produce this kind of stimuli to a man like this, here's how he's going to react. And that's what he did. But now he's calling to God. He called to the Lord, verse 28, saying, O Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray. Just this once, O God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. I don't know, I don't know how noble that is. I, I know that, that it has a selfish note to it. I just know that he was calling on the right God. And I know that, that uh, in this land of darkness in Israel that is so dark and that God has said, I've had enough. When you're in trouble, you call on your idols. Don't call on me. In that kind of an atmosphere, Samson called on the true God. He called on Jehovah God. And God is going to answer in behalf of Israel. And Samson took hold of the two middle, middle pillars which supported the temple. He braced himself against them, one on his right and one on his left. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. He pushed with all his might. The temple fell on the lords and the people who were in it. So the dead that he killed at his death were more than he had killed in his life. And his family came and they buried him. Why do we have this? Well, there's a historic reason. It fits into this discussion of the cyclical problem in Israel, the darkest time of Israel and, and the judges. It's in the selection of the judges that we learn so much about what God is doing. But a residual, a secondary lesson is what I want to bring tonight, and that is this. You, you take a people who don't like to retain God in their knowledge, and it's not going to work out well. John chapter 10 and verse 10 says, The thief comes not but for to kill, to steal, to destroy. I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Let me tell you something. That abundant life is not just in heaven. Oh, it's in heaven, but not just in heaven. This now. Walk in the light. Be thankful to be a Christian. It's not always going to be easy, but I tell you what. The path of sin is always going to be bad. It's always worse than the sinner expects it to be. Ask the prodigal son about that and he'll tell you. It's always worse than people anticipate. And here is Samson, and he depicts what's happening, what will happen in people's lives when they leave the Almighty God and follow idolatry. It's what happened to Samson, and tonight we learn a great lesson about that. And I am so thankful. I am so thankful to be a Christian. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word, brought to us by Glenn Colley. If you have comments or questions, Glenn can be reached by email at collie at westhuntsville.org.